0: For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com Hi, it's Wednesday night, and uh, do something a little unusual. It so happens I got in the uh, mail today, This Stefanski sent me one of those uh, fancy auctions that they do, it's called the Afikoman Auction, That's coming up. I guess, February 26th, that's next Sunday, February 26th, 5 Ador. So that's, I guess, a week from Sunday, okay? Um, <clears throat> in which they're offering up a number of rare, I mean, really rare, <clears throat> and very valuable old uh, Jewish uh, texts and things like that. Also some new ones I got from Sat Rebbe, And he asked me if I was interested in speaking about any of them. <clears throat> So again this is the Genazim auction that's g-e-n-a-z-y-m not z-i-m g-e-n-a-z-y-m and you can see this online if you want it's called www.genazim.com. again that's g-e-n-a-z-y-m and it's got this auction coming up not as fat a catalog as before so it's smaller uh, of all these unusual rare items <clears throat> and then we're going and one of them, now, so I just opened up the first one, first page, and son of a gun. It's from the original Yerushalmi, meaning from uh, the Bomberg uh, Press, who were the first guys that published the uh, shots or the, all of it. And <clears throat> since I've been doing Elia Bakr last week and, and Yuna Mint, and <coughs> since <coughs> I've been holding in Italy. This part and parts all of it in a certain way, and so I want to say a few words about this. This is their their uh, auctioning, Masachis the Bamberg Press of Venice, uh, fifteen twenty seven, and uh, this is actually an interesting tale. Never went into any kind of detail. Uh, again, it's Yoshalmi, it's 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 Shkolen. I think everybody listening to this podcast, or just about everybody, is aware that Shqalim is part of the uh, Dafyomi cycle, but it's not really Talmud Bavli. It's a, it, it, they, they've they incorporated the Yushalmi uh, into this, but listen closely. If you're talking about the original copy of it, and that's what we're talking about as a book, you're talking about the early 1500s, when the Gemara, as you and I know it, was invented... Literally, um, and certainly in physical form, but also the text itself, more than you realize, uh, by people mostly were not Jewish, or who have, Jews who had converted to Christianity. It's a strange story. <clears throat> I told you I have the W. David W. Amram book and Marvin Heller's book. There's all uh, and, and uh, uh, the Dick e. so from Guy Mayerla the Talmud. There's a whole department of scholarship which is interested in how did the Talmud come to be, or the Bible, too. And you say, well, what do you mean it's always there? Not true. Uh, when you had a world of manuscripts uh, before the printing press, there, there were so many different gears and you know everybody's all over the place, and mine doesn't look like yours, and my copy of Rashi has written different than yours. And all that is going to somehow or other come together in Italy in the early 1500s to come out with a standard Gemara, Baba Yushalmi, by the way, Gemara, that you and I are familiar with, and the Frum world will get so hooked on this, even though the Surah Sadav was invented by Goyim. I'll say it again. You know, when Steinsal changed it, they all screamed bloody murder. And it wasn't even Steinsatz as the told him to do it. But, you know, you can't deviate from way the Gemara has always been. The Gemara, the way you and I see it, is new. It starts from the early 1500s as, as a reality. And it wasn't put together by Jews. Uh, especially that particular font with the Gemara in the middle and the Rashi on in the inside and the Tos on the outside and all that. But in spite of what I just said, you know and I know, that Surah Adaf was Kona Shavisa and Kla and that's the way it's got to be. <clears throat> from then on. So it's just an interesting you know phenomenon now to get down to specifics this is what they're auctioning off over here is uh your sha is 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 Shqalim, which is of course you shall um they figure it'll only go this is one volume so it'll go for 20 30 40 grand that's all 20 30 40 k uh it's not the whole shots it's one volume but it's a very interesting volume <clears throat> Because here we get to the question of Yushalmi <clears throat> in general. Um, I don't know how long I want to go in this. Uh, when you look at the, you and I, look at the Tanakh today, the Mikras Gadolas So who made the first Mikras Gadolas I mean, there weren't manuscripts as far as I know. we Rashi here and Ramban there. And, and you know, and uh, what do you call it? were there. But rather, during the Renaissance in Italy, in the early years of the 1500s, Jews were still using, by and large, Saviads. The printing revolution, which started in the 1450s under Gutenberg, didn't extend the Jews much. A little bit it did in Spain and in early Italy. Early Italy means Sancino, famous family San they did a, They did a little bit, but the classics of Judaism did not exist in book form. And then this guy shows up and hooks up with this mashumid, And the two of them together decide to create and publish, for the first time, of course, the Tanakh Mikras Gedolas, Torun and which will, of course, include the Targum and the Masorah and Rashi and Ramban and Ibn Ezra and that sort of thing. So they get together to do this and then they say, hey, let's go for the grand prize and let's do the Talmud Bavli. How the heck can two, what well, can a guy who cannot read Hebrew and a Mashumid who maybe I mean, he certainly could read Hebrew, but he ain't no Vilna Gong, how do you print a Talmud when there's no master copy? <coughs> you understand? There's no master copy. You have different savyads and of Rashi and of Tosis and the rush and all that and you have to decide in the printing press which gears are you going to go with because in my Gamar says this and your gemar says that and her says this and this guy gemar says that and which is the right one so you better get somebody who knows what they're doing or you're gonna have a mess on your hands and how is it that Claudius Rowe was macabre this? Why didn't they say, if it's coming from God, heck with it. And they did not do that. So it's just a very interesting story, which has not been told in full yet. So this, <clears throat> the name of the guy was Daniel Bumberg. It sounds Jewish name, but it's not. And he was from Belgium, from uh, Antwerp. That time was the Spanish Netherlands. Uh, sees what you call today a Belgian. First, he he came from a rich family. He moves to Italy and spends his life there. He gets involved in the new technology called printing. It's like if I would get involved today in high-tech, you know, with the computers. That was the high-tech of the 1500s. (coughs) Um, He sees the possibilities in it. And he gets involved specifically with Hebrew. Which means you have to get people who know how to make olive paste, gimel, all that stuff, in you know, in in um, what's the right word, Osius, you know, uh, a print type, so you can you know print it on the page. We're not talking about nowadays where you press a button on your computer and the and the printer prints them out. It's the old days where you had to use ink and all this other stuff, and each page was was printed separately with real ink. All right. So how's a guy like that do this? As far as we know, and we don't know everything at all. Uh, the original idea for all this was not from this guy, this Belgian. But it was from Masumid. I tell you the truth, I myself don't know exactly why he wanted to do this. There was a guy they called Felix Pretenses, Felice of Prato. Prato is ten miles from from Florence. So he's a Florentine. He's a Tuscan and somewhere along the line, when he was like 40, he became not only a converted, but he became a Gallic. became a Catholic priest, the Augustinians. She's so he's mamish, you know? And, again, I don't know exactly how, but along the lines that I've been saying the last couple of weeks, especially with Elie Bacher, around that time in Italy, there was a certain interest among certain Gaiyam intellectuals, to know Hebrew and the new rabbinic literature. Maybe partially on the grounds of you want to know ancient languages, partially on the grounds that a Christian wants to know the language that Jesus spoke as they understand it, or Abraham for that matter, partially on the ground that they figure maybe they can read the Bible and the Gemara, by the way, and the Gemara, and discern Christian stuff that the Jews who are too stubborn to acknowledge the truth will see. So I want you to print Baba Kama, so I can read it and find the proofs for Christianity in it. Now I am saying it's crazy. But I'm just telling you what Ali thought, and I mentioned with Elio uh, Halevi, Elio Bacher, that he was friends when he settled in Rome with uh, Cardinal uh, Viterbo, and uh, he was a big macher, and he was also this cardinal who was not Jewish who just was a Ohav Chochmah, shall we say, was interested maybe because of his encounters with Elia Bacher, maybe for the other reasons. Some of these guys knew the Sforno. We don't know. It's a guess. And they were interested, still makes no sense to me, but they were interested in publishing the Hebrew classics, which only existed in manuscript form. And only in, exist in a cop plop plop form. Like say, this one has bare Gisser, then that one there, Gisser. This guy's like 15 lines from the Rush, and that's all he has. The other guy has 12 pages of the Rambam, that's all he has. You know, it was a crazy world. Uh, it's hard for us to understand how people use the learn of printing press. <clears throat> and so, this priest, Felix Pretensis, Felix of Prato, uh, meets this Belgian guy who had a lot of money behind him. He said, you're a younger man moving to Italy. You want to invest in a business. I would suggest it's the printing, the book business. And I would suggest we go over to Hebrew Classics. The idea basically being, number one, we'll sell it to the guy who's interested. But number two, you yeah, have a big Jewish market. Because we're in Italy. Nobody else is doing this. And so not only the Jewish communities in Italy will buy it. There's very few Jews in Italy. But you got Germany, Poland, and these other places, and they'll hop it up. So a market exists. So for pure capitalism, what's let's go for this. Now for the purpose of podcast today, because I'm talking about the uh, the offerings of the Genazim catalog, again, which is being auctioned off a week from Sunday. You go online if you're interested; so you can see it. Uh, but uh, when, uh, the priest went to the Pope who uh, uh, was Leo X, who I mentioned the other day. He was a Medici. He, You might say he's one of the last tolerant popes. And this uh, Mishumid was from Florence or, or near Florence. And so he was on good terms with the Pope. And he got Rashus to print first the uh, Jewish Bible. Um, and then he went for it and he said, how about the Gemara? And... He, t- he, you know, he got together with this Bomber guy who had a lot of money, deep pockets. And he said, we're talking about a major enterprise over here. Just think what it means to hire the experts who can get the manuscripts, who can put together the Gemaras, especially in this brand new, unprecedented typeset. With the Gemara in the middle and Rashi this way and Tosa that way and different Osios and all the rest of it. <clears throat> and it uh, has to be a quality product if you want to sell it. And that means we're going to need people, Jews, actually, who um, will do the work for us. Uh, And it happened. Now, the Pope actually wanted the printing press to be in Rome. By the time the whole story's over, it ends up being in Venice. Venice, as I've mentioned several times in recent podcasts, was a separate republic. Uh, Venice, in the early 1500s, was uh, somewhat in hard times. They still were powerful, but they were in hard times because the old trading routes weren't good anymore. And uh, I'm not going to go into the reasons behind that uh, with the triremes and everything. But uh, anybody who can bring in capitalist profit into the into the republic should be an economic plus. We're not talking about illegal immigrants who are going to take away. We're talking about somebody who sneaks over the border from Mexico with $15 million in his pocket to invest in the United States. That's a different story. Right? That's a different story. So this guy showed up with access to a lot of cap- capital, and they plot together how to recruit a Jewish crew, and how to get a printing press, and it's going to have to have a Jew to to do the actual printing because he can read the Hebrew, and how you're going to have, and you know, it's the old printing press with ink everywhere, and marks on the pages, and it hurts your health, and you, like I say, you have to get the right sheets of paper and you have to press down in the professional way with the old, uh, you know, OCOs, right? Physical type thing, like a typewriter used to be. And uh, and you have to find somebody that is able to take a whole bunch of different um, manuscripts, on let's say Bruchos, for example, and say, okay, um, name must I. Well, that one's wrong. How do you know it's wrong? Well, all the others say Shema. Anyway, it doesn't make sense. For Shema Nesri, you know, or whatever it says over there. It's got to be Shema. Oh, okay, fine. We'll go with Shema. In other words, the heavy responsibility falls on the guy who they call the corrector, the Magia, uh, who actually... When they print the stuff out, looks at him and says, okay, I'm going to be the spell check. You know, what did you get right on this page? You want to get wrong on this page? Because we're going to have to do it all over again minus the mistakes. So like I say, if it's a Mema Sei as a Shema Nasri, you have to get rid of that and put in Mema current as a uh, Shema. You know, just to give you one example. Uh, and imagine when you get down to Rashi and Tosis and all this kind of stuff. It's a gigantic work and you have to be a major Talmud Chacham and have a major sense of critical uh, judgment to know. Dane Hanyanli with Dane Lee, This is the right, the reading, the other one's the wrong reading, and all the rest of it. And he found a Jew, uh, His name was Chia mayor by David, I think, who was it, you know? Uh, but not a super heavy hitter, I mean, he didn't get to Sfarno or something like that. got And that guy, in 1520, 1523, in the three years at early 1520s. Uh, They got Rashids from Venice, which was very anti-Semitic, but they were interested in bringing in the money and building up the industry. And if you print the Gemara, this is like having a flourishing printing industry, so to speak. Um, And they put out the Talmud Bavli, I think in 11 volumes or something like that, uh, the way we have it today, more or less. Uh, so, and then this guy left, and he went on to other things. He was a rabbi in a small place in uh, in the Venetian Empire, in Lepanto. If you know where that is, that's where they had the famous battle in 1571 against the Turks, the naval battle, when the Catholics beat him, led by Don of Austria. But that's a separate thing. So this Chirmer Bar David, who nobody's ever heard of, is kind of like the seminal figure in the gemarit you and I read every day. I don't say that there were not mistakes. There were definitely mistakes in the Bomberg press, it's going to happen. Look, <clears throat> they didn't have spell check, and even when you do have mistakes, it's a kalvah in the old days, but generally speaking, you know, admitting that there's problems here and there, this and that and the other, what the mistakes are, it was a monumental achievement, but it's a brand new achievement. This rabbi, who nobody ever heard of, he created basically the Gemara. See, what do you mean the Gemara was around beforehand? Not necessarily in the exact gears that you see in front of you on the page. You, you understand what I'm saying? And even though it has been modified over the centuries, but this was an act of creation. And if the Shabeshtah, all, all of it, some mistake got in, there was a problem. And believe you me, in subsequent editions in the 15, 16, 1700s, famous rabbis, like the Marshall, for example, toiled heavily to see if they could locate mistakes, and and put in better gears. So the later printings of the Talmud used to boast that they fixed up the mistakes that were in there. But you can just imagine this is a gigantic work, and it was sold. There are very few sets left because the Pope burned them all in the 1550s. But uh, I've talked about this before. I saw online that they sold a whole set for, I think, 13 million bucks, million, I say, um, back in 2013, so today, I don't know how much it would be. Uh, that's not in an auction catalog. If somebody had that, there'd be a inner circle of richy, richy, rich, 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 rich. That would be for them. <clears throat> but that would really be something. Now, once, listen to this closely. Once these guys executed, as I just told you they did, the Micros and imagine the pain in the neck, that is to put all that together. And then, you know, get all the, Writings, manuscripts, and they have to, and then the, the printers make mistakes, and you have to do it over again. I mean, it's, it's quite a malacha. Then the guy said like this, okay, let's do the Yushalmi. Now, how the heck do you do the Yushalmi? And it turns out that um, a guy I know, uh, Yaakov Meir, I met him a few times, in Israel, just did his dissertation, just published a book, exactly on how... They the Bomberg and the and this group went around physically printing the Ushalmi. Sounds like a very arcane topic, except not for me today. And it happens to be that I saw that he did a whole long interview on Swarm Chatter exactly about the book. Um uh, and this guy went into Rachabil Khaqhtana, you know. Uh so and the book costs money, but uh just now I looked and you can basically He's in Tel Aviv University. You can get the, the dissertation online for what he talked about. Mi Tarbut Ketav Yad La Tarbut From a culture of manuscripts to a culture of print. 1523 from Yakamir. Or you can get the book. Now, um, which I do not have. But it was amazing that I happened to see that he has a whole interview for like an hour or something like that. With, uh, with farm chatter. Um, now, here's the... I mean, all this is, is remarkable, but the, what's, what they're putting up for sale is quite remarkable. So let me just say this to finish this story. So it took them a year or two, whatever, uh, to put out the Ushami, which, of course, is smaller than the Bavli. Um, turns out they did it like from one or maybe two manuscripts. The only manuscript... Because that's what you operate out of, a manuscript. But you see people say like this, well, there must have been manuscripts around. Not really, right? The only one of the whole Shalmi that I know of is the one that ends up being called the Leiden Manuscript because it's in the University of Leiden in the Netherlands, uh, which it ended up later. There was this uh, uh, a Christian um, scholar, Scaliger, uh, who, who got it and then I think ended up in Holland or something like that because he converted to Protestant. Um, he's a very well-known Renaissance figure, and believe it or not, you know who did the definitive biography of Scaliger, at least in the old days? Uh, Professor Bernays, the son of the Chacham Bernays, you know, the teacher of Samson Reif uh, Jacob Bernays, who um, who taught at the Jewish Theological Seminary by Zachary Frankel. He was a from guy, I mean, you know, he was very, uh, I would say, modern, modern, modern Orthodox. He was Orthodox. And he was interested in Scaliger for one of the reasons being that he's Mr. Yushalmi. Uh, so what I'm talking about in plain English is there was a manuscript written by somebody going back to the 1200s who says in the manuscript, I'm writing together a whole Yushalmi, but what I'm copying out of has a lot of mistakes. And I make my, my own share of mistakes and you just have to get used to this. Um, I mean, that's the best we can do. And that's what the Bomber guys used to print the Ushami. Uh, mistakes and all. Uh, which is why the Ushami, from day one, there's another manuscript from the Vatican, all of it, you know, but mainly it's this is Xavier Leiden. And you see, it's a different world I'm talking about. It's not about learning, it's about how you compose the books that other people learn. You know what I mean? It's asking the question how did they publish? Brisk al al-Rambam. I mean, had that happen, did they have the pages? Not what does Rav say. That's for the yeshivas. But in other words, how did they know what he wrote? Now, maybe the answer is they had his original, you know, handwriting. I, I guess that's possible. But I'm just simply saying that's a different type of question. You understand? It's a different type of question. And it's actually fascinating, but most people aren't into that. And, um... Anybody who has any experience with the Yushalmi knows that either you simply have to say like this, damn the torpedoes in full speed ahead. I know there's going to be gears of problems right and left, up and down. Uh, but I'm going to go, depending what your agenda is, I'm going to go with one of them or the best one to get me just through this Masechta. So uh, now lately when I do Yushalmi, I told you I have that, um, it's like a Kahati So What's it from? Uh, you know, that that new set that has partial lakudas on one page, not on the master page. Uh, one second. Yeah, Machon HaMa'or is called. Machon uh, HaMa'or. And compared to what they had before, it's really great. Uh, you know, one, one it looks like an art school. You know, one side is the regular gomor and the other side is like the art school sort of things. There's Machon And you immediately see the very confusing world of gear because you look at the bottom and a well this one says it says this but the other one says the gear says something different this one says the wording is this way the other says the wording is that way and either you make up your mind to hold your nose and just plow your way through the out as best you can or, um, or or you give up if you don't believe me get the art scroll you show me and uh, this past summer, I did, uh, it was Shemitah years, I did Shviyas, you know, the Ushalmi Shviyas. First the Mishnah and then the Ushalmi. And again, I used the Mechonah Ma'or, but I also, just for the act of it, I wanted to see what Art Scroll did with Ushalmi Shviyas. They did a very good job. But again, you look, they have boxes and boxes everywhere. This is if you have a different gear set so like this, and Cyrilio and this one, the gone. And if you learn it this way, then the Gemara is asking an entirely different question and giving an entirely different answer. It's not the type of thing we come across when you do the Talmud Bavli. Not that the Talmud Bavli is so easy, but it's nothing compared to Yerushalmi. You understand? Where everything is a contested girsah. Well, welcome to the world of the Yerushalmi. Now, we have here for sale uh, Shkollim. But that's a little bit different. And it's from Venice 1527, which is very significant in terms of the dates. This guy, Bomberg, who was not Jewish at all, and the Jews couldn't figure him out, had a soft spot for Jews. I don't know why. He was a Catholic, but he had a soft spot for Jews. The reason I say it is that he undertook to do this whole project in Venice. He was not a Venetian. But like I say, he crossed the border with 10 million bucks. He's bringing money in uh, to put together the typists and the proofreaders and the correctors and this, that, and the other... You need people with Talmudic knowledge. Otherwise, impossible. And especially when you get to the Yerushalmi. So, uh, on the other hand, Venice was very anti-Semitic. And, um, what do you call it? Venice is very anti-Semitic. And so, they were not allowed... At that particular time, by the way, if you're Jewish, you had to wear a yellow hat. You understand? To give you an example. Which means that you walk in the street, people spit on you and beat you up. Just like Shylock complains... When in that play uh, the Jew, the Jew of Venice uh, and uh and they didn't want Jews to engage in, in various types of businesses only you know old clothes and some loans and things like that and uh, he had to go and get special permission for them and he fought for them that the Jews so the Senate of Venice the government of Venice was in a tug of war they didn't want to help any Jews on the other hand they do want the mullah they want the money that comes in from a successful commercial enterprise. And so, the team that was assembled to put together the Bavli, the the Mikras Gedolas, and the Ushami, was composed of a couple of Jews and some Mishamadim, which is just interesting. And the head guy, of course, is is not even Jewish altogether. And uh, I remember, he fought with the Venetian government and got special permission for the few Jews that work with him that they don't have to wear a yellow hat or a yellow star or anything like that. <clears throat> and they should uh, have some kind of special privileges on Saturday. I don't remember all the details. <clears throat> but in other words, he was a nice guy. The Jews liked him. He fought for his employees. Let's put it that way. And so, when it comes to the Yerushalmi, uh he had, I think, two guys. One was this Yaakov Ben Yahoo, and the other guy was uh, from Tunisia. I forget the name, and uh, these two people went through the whole. They they physically printed the Talmud Yerushalmi, including Shkollim. You understand? The uh, Yaakov Ben uh, Ben Chaim Ben Adoni Yahoo, who's not a name you necessarily heard, he made the Mikras Gedolos, and he did Yerushalmi. And he was a mashumid. The only thing I don't have clear in my mind is, did he shmad later after he finished working on the Gemara's or was it beforehand? I can't recall exactly. i will probably find out somewhere. Uh, doesn't it boggle the mind, imagine, if you found that art scroll was employing Jews who had converted to Christianity on the art scroll You'd say, well, the heck with that. I'm not doing that. And the, and the Kalah Yisrael did not respond that way. Now maybe they didn't know, maybe they didn't know. I don't know, but uh, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. And this Bomberg was a smart cookie. I remember he had like a Michta bracha from the Pope, but he didn't publish it because he said that'll turn the Jews off. Uh, and somehow or other, they put it together. This Felix Pretensis guy was also part of it, so it's very weird. Do you ask somebody what's the right gear sentosus, or what do you do with this rush? Or all these or this peers from Schneider so Rambam who's translating it. And the guy who's answering on the other hand is the Talmud Chacham, Just happens to be that now he's a Christian. <laughs> it's very strange. You understand? Now they had their share of Jews. Like I told you before. Um I forget the other guy's name. But you know, they 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 had their um uh, uh scholars. It's the guy pitched a Tony or something. Uh, but just imagine what it means to take a manuscript with uh, the Yoshami in it, let's say, for example. And you know, even in the best of circumstances, Yoshami is kind of indecipherable because it has that quality. Anybody's learning Yoshami knows, you're talking about this, this, all of a sudden you're talking about something else. Like, what happened? Or question is raised and not answered. And what happened? And to know, or, or reference is made to another Gemara. By the way, during this time, he also published the Tosefta, believe it or not, and I forget what else. Major work was going on in Venice, this anti Semitic country, which was of incalculable aid to Judaism by spreading the printed word en masse and uh, allowing, thanks to the new technology, a kind of a, what must have been, a kind of a learning revolution somewhat analogous, not the same thing, but somewhat analogous to the learning revolution that you and I have lived through and are living through with the emergence of the art school, let's say, for example, or the Steinsaults, or whatever you want. So now, And now the, uh, you know what I mean, the Lakewood Doff and all that sort of thing, right? You know, these guys on online, they the up for you. Uh, they chew it up for you. Uh, this didn't exist. Not when I was a kid. And... It's a different experience. So imagine trying to learn with different pieces of paper, with handwriting on it, ksaviyads and things like that, as opposed to... <coughs> and I, I'll tell you what I said before. Probably no two ksaviyads were the same, because that's just the way it goes. You know, you and I, if we don't know spell check, we're going to be different. And even with the spell check, there's mistakes. Agree? Even with the spell check, agree, because it doesn't carry... Everything, let alone spelling mistakes and things like this. Somebody sent me an article to look over today. And uh, it was a very intelligent article. But he says this was subject to martial law in World War II. And he spelled martial law, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. Like Thurgood Marshall or something like that, General Marshall. Which is ridiculous. Martial law is M-A-R-T-I-A-L. From the word Mars, the, you know, the war. So that's not, a spell checker not going to catch that, you see. So you had the same problem, with because "marshall" is a, is a word also, so you had those kind of problems endlessly, in the 1520s, and here to make things even more interesting, what's being offered in this auction is "Mesechta Shkalem" from the Bamberg Press, Venice, 1527. Shkalem is different than the others. Um, when they published the first, Talmud Babli in the first three years of the 1520s. 1520, 1523. So they published the whole shas, including the Yushalmi on Shqalim, because that's always different. Like I say, it's part of Dafyomi. You get what I'm saying? So whatever manuscript they used for that specific item of Shqalim as part of the Bavli, so to speak, as the exceptional Yushalmi, that came out before they undertook to the Yushalmi itself. And I know Yaakov Meir has in his book and all this, because I was listening to him, uh, that when they did the Yerushalmi specifically on Shkollim, it was all a whole mess because the two manuscripts were not the same, and the printer simply said, well, if it says this in the other copy, then I'm going to put it here also. In other words, we have fundamental problems with the Gersas and the Gemara, and there's no way to get around it, particularly in the Yerushalmi. And remember he, t- he said something like, you know, uh, uh, what was it? Avadim, one place it says, who's puttering this? Avonim. The other place it says uh, Avonim or or Mamzerim or something like that. And the printer simply said, put them both in both places. So there's one Gersa in one manuscript was Avonim. The other one was Achreis Mamzerim. Now you put them both together, Avonim Mamzerim. Well, that's not right. According to the first manuscript, it's only Avonim. According to the second manuscript, it's Mamzerim. But it's not both, you see. So, basically, you and I are living with the choices that were made in the 1520s which is 500 years ago, because we're now in 2023. So it just means that, you know, you have a very unusual period of, of Jewish history. And the Frum have never been into this, as opposed to the Mishamonim and others. They've been always into this a lot. And in the 19th century, Jewish scholars, mostly conservative, like Zachariah Frankel, who wrote a book called Mavo Yerushalmi, which is a very good book, and Louis Ginsburg and people like that, we're into all this gear system. Well, they're not wrong about that, and everybody knows as they wrote themselves already in the 19th, early 20th century that the Ushamis that we have are full of mistakes. But what's somebody supposed to do? We don't have a pristine manuscript. I think I mentioned to you before when it comes to Talmud Bavli, although they did not know this in the 1500s, we do have at least one and hopefully more pristine manuscripts, like the uh, the Munich Codex, the Duque Sofram. So that's some richly rich guy paid, and they did a very good uh, uh, Shas Bavli. Uh, very high-end, with illuminated manuscripts, I think, and stuff. Very high-end, and it's got the right gears. So at least you have, so to speak, what we would call today a pristine uh, text of the Shas. Uh, but the Ushami, didn't, it's, not, it's not the case. Now, what happened was, listen closely. Bomberg printed the um, Mikros Codex in the teens of the 1500s. Then he did the Bavli, and then he did the and then he did the Bavli again as the second printing. Okay, as the second printing. I forget. You know, there's whole scholars that eat this stuff up. You know, this David Amram and all these other, you know, and the the, the the guy who did the Beis Ephraim, and Professor Haberman's all. Oh, all these different people that are into these uh, issues that I write about extensively. Now there's a Professor Heller who has a book, uh, I have it, called Printing the Talmud, History of Earliest Printed Editions of the Talmud. He's not babe. Um, but you got to want to get into all these little nitty-gritty details. Uh, and when he printed the Talmud the second time, I think that's when they put in the pages. You know, Bays, Gilmour alpha Amidalf, Amidalf, Amidalf I think that's when they did it. Uh, although everything I say is subject to machlokis among the historians, because uh, you know there's a lot we don't know. So what's being offered for sale is the is the Yerushalmi which is part of the Bavli that was printed as part of the second printing of the Talmud. Does that make sense? What I just said, it's the Yerushalmi, of course, but it's not the printing the Bamberg Yerushalmi set. It's the Bamberg Bavli set, second printing. So uh, there, they fixed up a number of mistakes that they made in the first printing, as you would expect them to do. And the fact that they already a second printing means they were bought up, which is a good thing. Uh, and it's is very interesting. You have Schalom, and I don't think. First of all, I don't own this item. Obviously, I ain't got twenty grand just to drop like this. It's not identical with what you find in the Yerushalmi. If you get a set of Yushalmi, um and you know, compared, although it's going to be a lot the same, it's going to be some different. So you're dealing with stuff from 500 years ago. You're dealing with stuff that it was very ginger on how the Jews are able to do this. You're, you're talking about um, uh, books from a time when making a book was a high art. So everybody knows the Bomberg press, whatever they did, is excellent paper, is excellent ink. You know the guy wanted high end so he could charge top dollar, and he did, and he sold out. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, correct? Uh, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, by this time, of course, the uh, you know the old pope didn't, had already died, and the second pope was wondering what to do. Um But whatever the case is, the um uh, original manuscript ended up, as I said, by Scaliger, and then in in the University of Leiden, which is a famous a Dutch University, Ad Haim And you end up with a period of Jewish history, which is most strange because it still doesn't make sense to me why the Catholics would allow this to happen. A number of years later, they took a burnt to all the Gemara's. That makes sense. You understand? Know From a Catholic point of view, they want to stamp out Judaism. So that, I'm talking about in the, in the 1500s. So that makes sense. You get rid of the Gemara's, and the Jews will be up the creek. Why would the Pope, even a tolerant Renaissance Pope like Leo X or the next guy, the next Pope was also a Medici, uh, Clement VII? These are famous people, if you know anything about um, Catholic history. Not that you need to, but I'm just saying, you know, these are very famous uh, Popes. Uh, Clement VII, the one who excommunicated Henry VIII, Eighth, etc. et, cetera, et cetera. So if you're into that. So um, by the way, Henry VIII, I think I've mentioned this before. <laughs> this sounds funny. Henry the Ace um, bought a copy of the Bamberg Bavli, not through Shalmi, Okay, That'd be too much. He bought a copy of the Bamberg uh, Shas. Um, why would he do that? There was a Jew in this court who was now a guy. So one of these Murano types or something like that. The 1500s abounded in these types because there was so much pressure to convert that it was hard, you know, to, to, to withstand it. Uh, as I said before, Jacob and Adonio did it, and Felix Paternitius did it, and could be that uh, Adolkin, the, the printer, did it, and there are many others. It's like a little bit shocking, um, and especially if you're only Jew there in a sea of Catholics. It is what it is. But I must say that they did not use this opportunity... To undermine the integrity of the text. And that's why Jews bought it. Had the Jews believed that these guys are playing games with the actual pages of the Gemara and fooling around and adding Christians that were taking out, it wouldn't sell. There was a case in Basel, Switzerland, later in the 1500s, I think, where Catholics printed the Talmud, but they changed the text around here and there. And the Jews boycotted it. And they lost their pants. You get it? They boycotted and they lost their pants. Uh, there were some Mishamadim in Poland, believe it or not, around this time. And uh, these two brothers, I forget their name. Uh, Professor Titor wrote about this. Uh, where he had two or three Jewish brothers. And they went in the printing business. Uh, but they weren't good in business. And so they ran up gigantic debts. Right? They, you know, they got in over their heads. And how can you get out of gigantic debts if you schmod Because well, since you're Catholic, so, you know, whoever prints the Catholic, dummy, especially financially, so you don't own any, any, any money anymore. And they got a letter from the king of Poland saying they're part of the Chovas, and things like this. And they published a Gemara, and I don't know what else, and the Jews boycotted They went buy from them. You see? So eventually they went bust, I think, if that's I believe that's how the story went. So it was an interesting time in Jewish history to we'll get to the publishing um, and what the Jews would accept, would not accept. But I'll say it again. Describe the fact that it was published in a Catholic country and in an anti-Semitic country by a guy who ran the whole operation in Bamberg and by a bunch of Mishamadim, plus some rabbinical types, like I said before, um What's his name again? Oh, here, Mayor Bar David and Eliel Bacher, and people like that. Uh, with Pizzitoni, I think it was. Uh, you can look all these things up. Uh, notice even though it was, it was not done the way it should be done, the way it should be done is the biggest rabbonim of the 1500s should get together. I'll give you an example: the Ramah, somebody like that, the Marshal, and they should take the manuscripts and they should go over him, and they should publish it in Poland, which was a free country for the Jews, relatively speaking, and they should make all the Hagols and the Gersas, and then you say, okay, so now I have something published by the Mashal, or Yosef Karo, or the Villagon or something, that's a different story. But it's not what I just described, is it? You know, they had lousy manuscripts, and they had people who were Mashomids and they had some that were Jewish, but were shvach Jews, and, you know, it was a funny situation. In spite of everything I just said, that page became beloved by That's that Sadaf. The Girsa became one basically accepted by Claud, although it was, you know, always fixed up as time went by in new editions. The original editions, as I said before, kind of were were mostly destroyed later on when, when a later Pope changed his mind. Changed his mind. I mentioned before, by the way, those rambling, the Henry VIII ordered a set because he was looking to see if he could get out of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Remember that? He had six wives, and the first wife was the daughter of Ferdinand Isabella of Spain, and I'm sure she hated Jews, and she couldn't have a son, and he needed a son desperately, otherwise he felt the kingdom would fall apart. And therefore, he's looking to get rid of her. Uh, And she would not play it long. And she's a Catholic, so there's no divorce. And so the only thing you do is get the Pope to agree some kind of annulment, which was very hard, apparently. And although the Popes did it when they had to. And she had been, I'm trying to remember the story. She had been engaged to Henry VIII's brother who died young, Arthur, and so he wanted to tell that, you know, uh, it's a case of Yibam, Uh, but I forget exactly the details. Let's call it yibum Shloba Malka Mitzvah. Therefore, he's not allowed to be married to her. So Satan is going to you know. When he wanted to dump her, he's looking for something to back up that kind of an argument. And he heard that the Jews are publishing the Talmud, they have almost have to call Yibamas. This Mashumid must have told him that, this Mark Antonio guy. And... Therefore, Henry VIII ordered Now, none of the Hebrew readers could make sense of the Talmud in England, where there were no Jews, no official Jews, in the, uh, in the what do you call it, in the uh, 1500s, you know. And I remember it stayed there for centuries. And I saw somewhere King George II gave it to the British Library or something like that. So it's there today. Uh, that's worth millions and millions of bucks. Uh, now, what we're talking about in this auction, therefore, is a small tiny piece of this. It's Shkolem. It's the Shqalim from the Bavli, and it's the skullm from the second round. So maybe they made, um, what's it called, Tikunim. Maybe they fixed up some mistakes or something like that from the first round in 1527. And it's therefore, it's kind of neat. So if this is a subject that excites your interest, um, and he got thirty, forty 40 grand to blow on it. Uh, then it, 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 let me put it this way I would get it if I was rich simply because of the history associated with it. Um, and the, I just don't know where I would put it. <laughs> I'm afraid, I'd be afraid to keep it in my house. Uh, and I can tell you right now, and you can look online if you go and see it, the print is actually gorgeous. You understand? You no, know, these guys used high end, um, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, fonts and letters and things like this, because you know they had in mind people could afford it, so they wanted to give quality for money. And I see, just looking through it, he's got the Ramb, you know. They have the 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 Mishnays with the Pish Mishnais of the Rambam, and then you have the Gemara itself, and there's no pagination on it. And you know, like we know in the Ushalmi, the the text is kind of confusing, but to tell you the truth, you know, once you, if you if you're the type of person that gets into Ushalmi, I can't say I'm super into Ushalmi, but I've probably yeah, I've gone through the whole Yoshalmi one time or another, uh, for this reason or for that reason, yeah, you can get used to it. Um, you know, you can get used to it. Especially now with the art scroll has in English and the more has it in the various Hebrews. Uh and unless you're really, you know, hyper scholarly the gersi usually doesn't matter that much to the average person, unless you're really looking to get a halach out of something like that. Um, Let me just make one final observation. Uh, The Usham was published, as I said before, in the 1500s from the only manuscript uh, there. All the other Ushamis were knockoffs of this. Maybe they figured that they have a better gersi here or there. The only, to my knowledge, and I'm not the world's expert on this, the only real change in the picture was the Cairo Geniza, which they dug up in the 1890s, and it's now in uh, the Cambridge University, and I believe is online. And there they had the most extraordinary, you know, items, you know, the Ramas original writings, Saadigon's letters, this and, that, and the other originals, and they have what they call, fra- you could tell, you know, old Roshamis are fragments of it. And I remember Louis Ginsburg from the conservative back around 100 years ago, the that more wrote, Three Day Yerushalmi, in which, you know, he knew the, the Shah's probably Shalom by heart. That's an understatement. And he wanted to show, he's not the only one, that, um, you know, if you use these manuscripts or pieces, fragments, from the Geniza, you know, you can get a better gear perhaps in this Gemara or that Gemara. But it's very uh, confusing. But on the other hand, many of the people who are listening to this probably go to Dafyami, and if you do the dafyomi, then uh, you're going to go eventually to uh, a And if you do scholom with the raid and everything else that goes along with it, or you're listening to some uh, online shear, that would be totally cool. <laughs> that everybody else is using a uh, you know modern 21st century Yeshamish uh or an art school translation of it. And you're using the original one, literally the original book. Or I shouldn't say that, second book. The first printing was uh, in 1520, 1523. This is the second printing in 1527. So if you are interested in owning a very interesting piece of the most unusual Jewish history, then this is for you. Uh, again, this is all part of the auction that's coming up next week in the uh, next Sunday in the Gnazim uh, auction. Which they choose to call the Afikoman auction or something like that. Yeah, Afikoman auction on Sunday, February twenty sixth. And uh, if you want more details, you'll go. You know, you'll you'll go online, and you'll see it over here. Um, and uh, let me know if you buy it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Let me know if you buy it. Anyway, with that, I wish you all a uh, a good week. And we'll see what happens from this. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbydovidkatz.com.